Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a good, good lead into this message tonight. And I was afraid there a second that he'd had a lapse, but it was the inter- it was the interlude. And I'm glad he had the rest of the words up here, brother. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I remember very well when my wife and I had not been married very long. We were at a nursing home service, and and she was uh, playing the piano for me. And I was singing a solo before I gave a devotion to the to the older folks, and there were about a dozen or so elderly folks out there. And I was singing the Haven of Rest, and I got the song confused, and I always, I always forget what song it is. There's another song in the hymnal that has almost exactly the same tune. And uh, do you remember what, the, what that song is? I can never remember what it is. I run across it from time to time, and it's another familiar old hymn, but it has almost exactly the same tune. And I got the words mixed up. I, and I started singing the words to the other song on the second or the third verse, and I got the strangest looks from these elderly <laughs> folks out there in the audience. And in fact, I got a few strange looks from my wife as well before I finished, and was very glad to be finished, actually. Uh, but uh, I have a way of not remembering words, and I can remember tunes pretty well, but I don't remember words, and so I end up, I end up just making up words as I go. And that doesn't necessarily always work out very well. (laughs) My wife hasn't complained about that much because I use I use uh, uh, some word craftsmanship to write her poems regularly, and so she likes the poems, but she doesn't necessarily like the improvisation (laughs) in the middle of a song. (laughs) Well, it's good. It's good. We should be faithful, and that's kind of what our text is about tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us as we explore in the Word of God truth that will challenge us. Father, may we be challenged tonight. We pray for your Spirit to drive the truth home to hearts. Father, accomplish a great purpose in lives this evening. And and we can apply these principles very easily to the way our homes should be. And Father, each one of us should be an example of the believer's. Father, I ask that you would guide as we consider this, these great truths from your word this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So good to see each of you here this evening. Good to see some of you folks from Calvary Baptist Church. Glad to see Pastor and Mrs. Webb again. And we've been looking forward to seeing them, but all the rest of you, of course, it's a blessing to have you here and see you tonight. And so good to be with you. And we were able to spend a little bit of time this afternoon with the Bylers, and that was a blessing. And uh, we appreciate them very much. Appreciate your faithfulness, folks, and God bless you for all that. You know, we live in a, we live in a world in which Christian conscience and most other things that are related to real biblical Christianity seem to be either being diluted or they're disappearing entirely, and that's distressing for people who have real convictions about truth. That is distressing. Biblical morality and truth are being quickly erased from our culture and from the public eye. And of course, the media has a whole lot to do with that. Our entertainment industry has a lot to do with it. But when it becomes unpopular to take a stand in some area, there are a lot of folks who won't take that stand anymore. I heard a preacher say years ago, and I think it's absolutely true, if we don't say and declare what we believe, we won't very long believe it. 
and that especially applies to preachers and pulpits. Oh, I believe that. I believe that, brother, about the local church. Well, you know what? If you never preach it, if you never teach it, you won't long believe it, and your folks won't either. And that's true of just about any standard that we uh, that we declare that we declare that we hold or claim to hold if we don't talk about that and 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 voice that in our family it won't long be real to them to our family members we need to talk about what we believe and there are so many things that aren't talked about these days i still remember the story i heard years ago of a pastor who was a who was, uh, you know, uh, questionable in many ways, but he was, um, you know, he was um, uh, candidating for a church that he wanted to be able to become the pastor of, and the deacons asked him whether he, whether he was, whether he believed in, in, uh, you know, whosoever will, in Arminianism or Calvinism, and of course, Arminianism should be defined, and and the, a true biblical position is in between those two, and not to either extreme. But he said, are you Arminian or Calvinistic? And he, he kind of leaned back in his chair and laughed and said, brother, I can preach it either way. And he thought he was going to, he thought he was going to win some, some points and some, uh, credibility that way. And there are too many who will just declare whatever the crowd wants to hear. And, and we are, uh, compelled, those who know the truth are compelled to stand for the truth, no matter whether anybody wants to hear it or not. And yet that doesn't, that certainly is not the trend of our age. But, but God's people today, it's so important, it's so important that we stand strong and true and that we not only emulate truth, but we also mentor in truth and teach others. And we've read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, about what the Apostle Paul wrote about standing and enduring hardness, but also communicating that truth to others who shall be able to teach others also. And I think a a basic Christian character is one of those things that's really lacking today from honesty to industry to, to, uh, to, um, you know, um, initiative to personal discipline all of these things are lacking in our culture today and should be definitely hammered home in the fa- in a Christian family. They're all things that need to be focused on. I want us to read about the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave Timothy, and we imagine from several different portions of Scripture, and certainly from this one, that he was a younger man, and Paul called him his own son in the faith. But he says uh, here something about his youthfulness. And I think it's interesting just to consider uh, the words that he wrote to Timothy here. He says, let no man, dis-, in verse 12, 1 Timothy four twelve, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit and faith and purity. And the thing that I think uh, should be noted here is the fact that Paul admonished Timothy to be an example. And of course, the context is that of even though you are young, don't let people despise you. And that means to disrespect or to disesteem. Don't let people despise your youthfulness. And sometimes a youth is not taken very seriously. But he went on to say, be thou an example. And you can almost set aside the fact that he was youthful 
and, and focus on the fact that he's to be an example. Don't let anybody disrespect you or disesteem you or disregard you because you happen to be youthful. You have a responsibility to be an example of the believers. And he gives a lot of different areas in which that applies, which we'll take just a moment to consider before we talk about being an example. He said, be an example in very many different ways. Be an example of the believers. And I think that the Apostle Paul was challenging uh, Timothy to be a cut above. Be an example of the believers. Among the believers, be an example. Be one who shines. And he was admonishing a young man. And you say, yeah, but he was a preacher. I'll remind you again of of that uh, principle I cited a couple days ago. I think maybe it was Sunday I mentioned it in in the book by God, about godly manhood by a fellow named Gene Getz who who wrote the whole book about the qualifications for a for a bishop. First Timothy three one and following. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work, let him be this and this and that. And, and his contention was, the whole thesis of the book was, that every man, unless he knows for sure what God wants him to be doing with the rest of his life, ought to strive to be measuring up to those standards so he can be qualified to do anything God wants him to do. And I thought that was a good principle. I've taught through those same principles, those same qualifications uh, in our church about godly manhood. That's what a godly man should be. Oh, but God's gonna call, God's not gonna call me to preach. Well, He sure won't if you're not qualified. He sure won't if you don't meet those qualifications. But if we're going to be an example of the, among the believers, well, that implies that we need to be determined to be tip top. To be the very best we can be for Christ. And you know, um, maybe, maybe those words, let no man despise thy youth. Maybe they're there because youth are sometimes inclined to be inconsistent and easily influenced. And I, I was looking around just a couple minutes ago. I saw a few young people in the congregation tonight. You know what? You, if you're, if you're somewhere between the age of 14 and 24, you are probably very much inclined to be influenced by your peers. I've just recently had the chance to talk again with a young man in our church who said, Pastor, I need to get baptized. I got saved just a few days ago. I said, you know what? His name is Jaden. I said, Jaden, I said, I said, last summer you made a profession of salvation. He said, I know, I know. And he said, it was just all emotions. And he said, I realized very quickly that I wasn't really saved. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, at work, he said, I started talking like all the unsaved guys at work. And he said, I did, I lived my life in a way that was not becoming of a believer. And he said, I knew in my heart that God was convicting me of my sin, but I kept on and kept on until finally I couldn't do it anymore. And I got honest with myself. And he said, I called your son, Brother Ethan. He said, I spent some time with him. And he said, he said, I got saved. I said, are you sure about it now, Jaden? He said, yes. 
But it just drove a point home to me that sometimes there are youth in a church who just sort of go, and youth are not, of course, exclusive to this. It's not restricted only to young people. But young people are more perhaps inclined to be influenced because they're more formative than you are when you get to be 40 years old. You know, you're more set in your ways the older you get. Young people, youths are more formative and they are more given to being influenced in wanting to please other people and be like other people and have others' approval. And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul stated that that youth, and, and the implication is that youth are sometimes inclined to be despised because they sometimes are, can be very inconsistent. And Paul admonished young Timothy, don't let anybody, don't give anybody a reason to despise your youthfulness. You be an example. And that's a powerful challenge to youth but I think it's a challenge to all the rest of us. Be an example of the believers. And he mentions a number of different applications in word, in how you express yourself. Be very careful of how you express yourself. You need to be an example of the believers about your words. We talked about communication last night, and this is about words in word, lagos, in the words that you speak, in the way that you express yourself. Be careful. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, and this speaks of behavior and lifestyle. In charity, that's how we love and, and, and how we show, how we demonstrate godly love. It's agape. In spirit is how we, um, how we present our Lord, how we live. In faith, how we follow truth. In purity, how we practice the life that we profess. You be an example of believers in all these different areas and you be very aware of the importance of living your life in connection with or in, in agreement with what you profess. I've been impressed just recently in 1 John chapter 1. Look there with me very quickly. Just some wording in chapter 1 of 1 John chapter 1 in verse 6. And we'll just look at this real quickly. In verse 6, the verse begins, if we say, and verse 8 says, if we say, and verse 10 says, if we say, and in each case, he contradicts what they were saying. If you just say this, be aware of this other thing. And it's real easy to say something, isn't it? And it's not so easy to follow through and, and for it to be real in one's life. Look at verse 7. But if we walk, and that's the contrast. If we say, if we say, if we say, and, and we could easily say, I think God could easily say, so what? But how do you walk? How do you live? It doesn't matter what you say. Are you consistent in the way that you back it up? Be an example of the believers, and our example is very important. And I want us to consider the example tonight, and not just for youth, but for everybody. The key thought here is for Timothy, not his youthfulness. The key thought is don't underestimate your influence. 
your example, your testimony should be such that so that others can't find fault with it, and it is such that none of us even know what we could mean to somebody else in their spiritual life. Let no man despise thy youth. Be an example of the believers. Be an example of the believers. A dad doesn't have any idea how much of an impact he's having in the lives of his children and his wife. A mom doesn't have any idea what she's communicating many times to her family. A youth doesn't have any idea a lot of times what he is communicating to those around him about himself. And I found this to be true, that a lot of times it seems like youth, uh, are when people see a young person in church, they're just glad they're there. They're just glad they're there. And they could be as inconsistent as the day is long in the way they live their life. But the older folks are glad they're there. They're glad you're there. They're glad you're here. Are you an example of the believers? And that's the point for all of us. I believe we undervalue our influence. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And that's the first thought in this, the main part of this message that I'd like to communicate. We undervalue our influence in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, in the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And I think that a lot of times people undervalue, they fail to see the value of their own example. And just in for what Jesus said, you know what, how much, how much salt does it take to salt a pound of, of meat? Does it take a pound of salt? Well, of course not. It just takes a few sprinkles. And he mentions a candle as being the light of the world. How, how much light does it take to give some significant illumination in a very, very dark place? When I was a child, a, a kid, I remember our family touring Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. And you get, and, if, and you probably have some of those... Uh, deep cave type attractions around here. There was one in Missouri where we went to Bible, where I met my wife at Bible college and, and people, you know, you go way down deep into the heart of the earth. And then, and then somebody, the guide usually thinks it's clever to shut off the lights and everybody gasps because it is absolutely pitch black, dark in those places, not a, not a ray of light anywhere. And all it takes is for somebody just to strike a match or to light a candle and everybody breathes a sigh of relief because all of a sudden now there's light again. It doesn't take very much light to bring illumination in a dark world. It doesn't take, it doesn't take very, oh, I'm just one person. It doesn't take much salt to make something salty. It doesn't take much. And I, of course, Christ always knew that conscientious believers, conscientious believers would be in the minority. The Lord always knew that. 
In fact, he said, he said, few there be that find it. It's a straight, it's a narrow way. Because wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go in there at. The majority are not following that way, but your salt and your light doesn't take much to make a big difference. Don't undervalue your influence, either in your home or in the world where God has placed you. How much light does it take to lighten the darkness? Not very much. In Second Peter 1.19, the Bible talks about it, and, and the context is about the scriptures, and I've always been impressed with what Peter wrote there in Second Peter chapter 1, because he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, but we have a, sure, a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than even an eyewitness account, and that's the scriptures. But he, he references in Second Peter 1.19, the day star, uh, until the day star appears, and the day, uh, until the day dawns, and the day star arises in your heart. It doesn't take very much. When it's a dark, dark night, just a little bit of light makes a huge amount of difference. Most people know the name D.L. Moody, and I know that I understand that he was not a local church man, and that's probably the reason why most of the influence that he had as an evangelist, as a servant, as a preacher of the gospel, is gone today because he was not a local church man. But it has been said that as much of an influence as D.L. Moody had in the 19th century, seeing thousands and thousands of people brought to Christ during his ministry, do you realize that it was a, it was a lowly shoe salesman who led him to the Lord? And you'd have to search a while to even find that man's name. The man that witnessed to this, this one who preached the gospel to tens of thousands of people. Oh, I could never have that much influence. No, but the one that you have influence over could. And I don't know how far-reaching Timothy's ministry actually was. The Apostle Paul's was phenomenally far-reaching. I don't know how far-reaching Timothy's influence was, but but my wife and I had have always, over the years, been terribly convicted, deeply convicted, that the greatest influence we can have on our world is to raise godly children. And what good does it do if you help rescue somebody else's children if you lose your own? What good is that? And I fully believe that, my, that our own children will have a, a, far, a much farther reaching effect in our world than, than my wife and I have ever been able to have. And that goes back to example. We undervalue our influence. We just don't see it the way God sees it. And you know, it's, it's, it, and somebody would say, what can I do? It's only about, it's only me. Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's almost exactly what the prophet Jeremiah said. God, I can't, I can't speak, I'm a child. And, and maybe you remember in Jeremiah chapter 1 what God's response to Jeremiah was, don't say that. Say not, I'm a child. And Jeremiah didn't have any confidence in himself, and that's okay. It's okay to have confidence in God, even if you don't have confidence in yourself. 
But when God started Jeremiah out, he said, he gave him his first vision of, a, of an almond rod. And he said, what do you see, Jeremiah? He said, I see an almond rod. And God said, thou hast said, well, good job, Jeremiah. You did good, man. That's an almond rod, all right. You did. I know. See, I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. Good job. He was encouraging this man to know that he could. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Remember Moses? And I've often referred to Moses as a, as a stuttering, insecure octogenarian. You know? Who had done nothing but keep his own father-in-law's sheep for the last 40 years. And when God called him, he said, I can't do it. I can't do it, God. I can't do it. You got the wrong man. And that narrative went on for a couple of chapters till God finally convinced Moses that he should just surrender to the Lord and do what God said he could do through Moses. And he became the greatest prophet Israel ever had. What can I do? You know what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Your influence is valuable. Don't ever underestimate, undervalue the influence that you can have with God's help. I think about Gideon, who was <laughs> out there in Judges chapter 6. He was out there behind, and the Midianites had oppressed the Israelites. And Gideon was out there threshing his grain behind the wine press. And why was he there? The wine press is not the place to thresh grain. Why was he behind the wine press? Because he was scared. And the angel appeared to him and said, Oh, thou mighty man of valor. And I'm sure, I'm sure Gideon was thinking, Who, me? <laughs> you got the wrong guy. It's not me. I'm scared. That's why I'm here. And God did work in his life because it was, it was God that was working. It wasn't about Gideon. It wasn't about Jeremiah. It wasn't about Moses. And, and somebody may say, oh, I couldn't have much influence on anybody. Well, perhaps not, but if God gets a hold of us, he can do great things. And God may never call some man in this church to be a preacher, but what if he called your son? What if he called your son to be a preacher? Your influence is extremely valuable and powerful. Don't undervalue your influence. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that would never happen. I know we all do it. But remember that God is of unlimited power and there's nothing that's too hard for God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. And you know, all the promises of God apply equally to His children if they're promises that are given to his children. They apply equally to all of his children. His people, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched thy arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And then look at 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? 
I believe that it's possible to limit God, and Psalm 78 says that, that the nation of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. And I, I preached a message years ago from Psalm 81, where, and, and the title was Tying God's Hands. Oh, we must be pretty powerful if we can tie God's hands. Well, no, our doubt just limits God from doing what he could otherwise and would otherwise do. At the end of Psalm 81, he said, you know what, I, I was going to feed you with the finest of wheat. I was going to do this. I wanted to do this. I should have done this. I could have done that, but I didn't because you wouldn't trust me, basically. And so we limit God by our unbelief because we underestimate the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes our prayer amounts to praying for what we consider will likely happen. And there's somebody that, that we know that's just a blasphemer and an atheist, and, and you know there's not much point in praying for them because they're so far away, but as soon as they make some kind of move toward the truth, then we'll start praying for them because we're considering it possible when it seems like it's likely And sometimes we don't serve the Lord as we ought to serve Him because we don't really believe that God is the God of the impossible. And He delights in doing impossible things. God is a supernatural God, and as a supernatural God, you know what? <laughs> Whatever He does is supernatural. And isn't that the definition of a miracle? Anything God does is miraculous. Anytime somebody gets saved, that's supernatural. Whenever somebody opens up and responds to the Word of God and they commit themselves to that's supernatural. That's something God did. It's not something somebody could do genuinely on their own in and of themselves. He's the God of the supernatural. Brother, we would have had a man in our church taking your picture after church if, that, if, if he's here, if we were home. And your picture would be up on the screen. <laughs> he does that. And I've let him do it. Uh, whenever somebody's phone goes off in church, their, their picture goes up on the screen with the announcements before the service until somebody else fouls up like that. <laughs> I have to tell you a, a funny story about cell phones. Uh, my wife and I were traveling across Michigan, and I'd been asked to preach at a church in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and they found out that we also sing together, and we'd gotten and we had Emily, our daughter, with us, who was our traveling accompanist, and what a blessing that was when she was that age. Uh, but we got up to sing, and I had made a special point of turning way down the volume on my phone because I kept it in my pocket. And I didn't want to be embarrassed by having that phone go off in a, in a service. And we have guys in our church, uh, characters in our church, who notice if you get your cell phone, and they'll call you during church on purpose <laughs> or send you a text or something. Uh, but but I was just I was just uh, paranoid about it, so I had my volume turned way down. But right when we got up to sing, the battery died on my phone, and it did that that little little, little, little waterfall uh, you know sound, and and I thought, oh man, 
what a what a silly thing to have to happen. What a, what a terrible time for the phone to die. We were waiting for the for the introduction. It was dead silent in the auditorium. <laughs> so, brother, I understand those things happen, and it's a hazard of the electronics age. So here we are. But anyway, uh, don't ever underestimate the power of God. Don't ever imagine that, oh, God can't do this. God can't do that. God can do anything that's not contrary to He can't lie. He can't do anything wicked or contrary to his truth or his word, but he can do anything else. And we sometimes limit, we end up limiting our own effectiveness because we don't believe God can do it. We don't believe God can do what he obviously, clearly is capable of doing. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, God can do it. And I'm so glad that God's power and God's promises apply to me as well as everybody else. Amen. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. You can live with God's help. You can live a consistently godly life if Christ is in you. And saints can, and this is interesting, saints can live for the Lord. The word saint And have you ever heard somebody say, well, I ain't no saint. I don't claim to be a saint. And in the New Testament, all saved people are called saints. And and interestingly, it's exactly the same word. The word saint in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, is exactly the same word as the word holy. It's the same word. And it's the noun form. It means a holy one. That's a person who's not flawless, but they're set apart. They're consecrated, dedicated, devoted unto God. And that's the way God considers all of his children. He considers them all holy ones. Isn't that a blessing? And we don't deserve that designation. But by his grace, he can do anything he needs to do and wants to do through his children. If we'll trust him, we're his saints. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underperform in the Christian life. What can I do? Well, we get so caught up with the temporal details of life that we sometimes fail to even consider what the Lord wants to do with us. Remember this. Don't, don't, don't fail to recall that the only, the only thing that's going to last is that which is of eternal value. That means everything in this world, everything that's temporal, everything that's temporary, everything that's material is going to pass away. And the only thing that's going to last is that which is related to the spiritual. That's all it's going to endure. And material possessions and riches and all of our things that we collect, everything else, everything like that is temporal. It's only the eternal that will last. And the temporal will pass away. And so it's a, it's a legitimate question. We think about our example. Be an example of the believers. What are you doing 
right now, today, this week, what are you doing that's really going to last? What are you doing for eternity? What are you, how, how are you investing yourself? We talk about, my wife read me a quote that she found today about the rapture and about the saints who will be translated into heaven. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. What if today or if tomorrow was your last day before the rapture? What are you doing? What am I doing that, that will affect the face of eternity? What are we doing for eternity? Something that will really last. Oh, we need to have the right priorities. We need to be an example of the believers. How are you investing in eternity? God calls his people to holiness. And 1 Peter chapter 1 states this, and you're familiar with this passage of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Verse 15 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And this is because of salvation. And, and look at chapter 2 real quickly. He goes on from that and says, You know what, you're supposed to be different and you, and you can make a difference. 1 Peter 2, 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And the Bible says that God's people should be an example in an ungodly world, we should be an example in our home, our family. Everybody in our family should know this is a Christian home. And not just a, quote, air quote, Christian home, but I mean a real Christian home. Be an example of the believers and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in your home, in your heart, in your life in all these different areas where Paul admonished Timothy in word, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, in love, in purity, all in charity, all these different areas. An example of the believers. And don't imagine, oh, I could never be that. I could never do that. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can be what he wants me to be. I can live the life that he wants me to live. I can be an example of the believers. We can have a strong and unshakable, godly, Christ-exalting home. We can. We can have that. If we're trusting the Lord and we're committed to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us.